she chose this. But you know, it, again, it'd be one thing if it was like, man, she was like, you know, she had no choice, man. Like she was for, she, but she wasn't. She was not forced into this position whatsoever. She actually had numerous opportunities to not be in this position and chose to be in here in spite of that. So again, that tells me that this isn't some chick who's down on her luck, who's trying to be the heroine of a story that was taken from her. She's trying to make this story that's not all about her, about her. And that's hey, wait, that's a triple play. New episodes of Kim what is going on ladies and gentlemen boys and girls people of all ages welcome back to the aoa show i'm your host as always ian along with my boys isaiah yo 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 and gavin what is gucci shoes <laughs> and today we are here to talk about our tower of god read through a more in-depth analysis on chapters uh 153 to 165 153 to 165 so thank you to all everyone who put in their thoughts over in the discord about what we should be talking about today. As always, we've compiled the best results into about seven or eight different categories for us to talk about today. And if you want to voice your your vote, your opinion on all that kind of stuff, you'll definitely want to check out that link in our description down below. As always, if you guys do enjoy the content, make sure you guys are liking, subscribing, hitting that notification bell, sharing with your friends, and commenting your thoughts down below. What did you think of our discussion? What were your thoughts on these chapters specifically? And what are your mm -hmm. thoughts on Tower of God as a whole? But without further ado, we're going to hop right into this discussion right now. So the first thing that we wanted to talk about today... Um, was Kuhn and his relationship with Bam specifically and the group as a whole now that Bam has kind of been experiencing some issues uh, ever since the Rachel meetup, right? Mm -hmm. We saw that she pushed him, definitely hit Bam hard, not only physically but mentally. And because he let loose, uh, the thorn now has seen the, the chink in his armor and uh, basically is almost leaking its power out at every given opportunity at this point. So every time we're seeing these flashbacks and whenever Bam gets, like, not even pushed to the edge, really just in a fight in general, he's unlocking this, like, incredible power, but at a too quick of a rate, it seems. But more importantly, how is this affecting Kuhn, right? Because Kuhn, as we see, is distancing himself from the group and from Bam and kind of looking at things from afar, but he's very worried about things are going to pan out. So what do we think is going to happen with a relationship and how do we think this is going to affect Kuhn in the long term? Anybody got anything? Gavin? Mm. So, I mean, it's obvious Kuhn's in a pickle. And what's interesting is I'm, I'm curious to his plans on how he wants to facilitate Bam's power because that's the big thing going on in his mind is that Bam is obviously growing at such a fast rate and is going to continue to grow at said fast rate. So how do we keep up with him? And in his eyes at this point, he's like, well, physically our team can't really move any faster than it is. It's already, it's at its peak. Sure. So what, what do I have to do? And that's figure out a way to control Bam at the end of the day. So I'm curious to what extent Kuhn is willing to go to either achieve a power or find some powerful being that is able to physically control Bam and what that is going to do to their relationship is he, if he's able to do so. Because obviously, you know, Bam, when he goes off the rails, he goes off the rails. So he can take it two ways. It's either he understands why Kuhn would need said power to, you know, control him. Or if Kuhn uses it, I would say if he kind of lays down the hammer and it like actually like controls Bam's thoughts in terms of you can't do this. Like, you know, if he is so willing to just like stop Bam in his tracks that is going to be very bad for their relationship and might actually cause them to break off because Bam, obviously his goal to find Rachel exceeds the entire team and everything and everything under the bus. So he is going to want to push forward as hard as he can. And obviously Kuhn doesn't want him going too hard. So if he facilitates that power over Bam, that's like, hey, calm down. You're not going hard. Bam is going to be pissed and that is going to be a big thorn in their relationship. And I feel like that's a lot of inner turmoil that Kuhn is going on with right now and figuring out, you know, what do I do? What can I do? Is it even, like, plausible to do something like this? And as we move forward, I feel like it's going to be more precedent for Kuhn to find something that is able to control Bam in what scenario, because right now he's a loose cannon, and it's starting to really affect the team and kind of draw them thin, and Bam is now suffering from it because he just keeps on pushing himself because he can't take a step back and be like, 
what is going on? Like, let me analyze the situation. He's just so caught in his emotions right now that it's really just going to be taking down everybody around him. And we see that at the end of this fight, at the chapters. He's like, wow, I am putting everybody in danger because he is so far ahead and nobody else is really caught up to him. So he's just going to keep on putting people in these situations where it's like, it's life or death. So, you know, we're going to have to see moving forward. But he's definitely, Kuhn has his work cut out for him, that's for sure. Isaiah, you have thoughts? Um, I think that Kuhn is, I mean, I guess obviously uh, scared, right? Because we learn in the last, like, set of chapters that we read that Kuhn, so Kuhn is clearly grappling with the, I guess, the uh, the discomfort of the idea of, like, losing Bam, right? He, he mm-hmm. Bam is one of his closest allies, one of his closest friends, and he doesn't want Bam to be taken away from him. And I think watching you know, when when we s- when the whole Rachel uh, altercation at Train City happened, there's that panel where, like, after uh, Rachel pushes him, that, like, Bam is laying there unconscious, and, and Kuhn is looking at him, and they're like, oh, is he okay, or something like that. And Kuhn says, um, or, or I, somebody mentioned something to Kuhn, and his line in response is something along the lines of, like, I don't chase foolish endeavors, only practical ones, or something like that. And there's a, you know, the panel is on, Bam, like the panel goes from Kuhn to Bam, and I think that that's supposed to be like a, you know, a a double-way mirror where it's like Kuhn saying that to Bam in Bam's sort of, you know, foolish or or irrational pursuit of Rachel, Um, but at the same time, Kuhn feels the exact same way about Bam. I don't think that there's many things that Kuhn wouldn't risk um, if it meant saving Bam, or more importantly, if it meant keeping Bam with them as a family. I think there's there's like a, probably a much deeper, you know, uh, issue that, like, Kuhn relates this to, right? Losing Bam, and we know Kuhn's an orphan child. I mean, uh, not orphan, a, uh, um, like, he was kicked out of his family. Um, so I, I, th- I think that, like, the idea the idea that Bam is growing at this rate and, and that the thorn is, you know, maybe taking over him or whatever isn't so much scarier as much as the thought that, like, he can't do anything to stop it, right? That there, I- that if there, that there has to be this other tool um, or, or thing that they can use to, like, you know, plug into the thorn or whatever to, to sort of force Bam or, or, or make Bam get a hold of his, his, his thoughts and, and more importantly the thorn because if Bam continues to grow at this rate um, in at least the way I see it in Kuhn's mind like Bam, Bam is going to be moving out of like this sort of like ally role into like a potential into a variable right I don't know necessarily if he would coin him as a threat 100% but he's now going to go like as an ally he can he can talk to Bam he can like he can, all right well this is what we're going to do but, like, if Bam keeps moving at this speed where he's just this many leagues in front of everybody and nobody can can put a cap on that, nobody can stop, more importantly, Kuhn, like, that's an unknown variable. And to somebody like Kuhn who can overanalyze and get through any situation just thinking, the worst thing you can deal with is something that you can't control, an unknown variable. So I think he's – I think him just thinking in that mindset even is, like, what's got him in this, you know, particularly jerkish mood and, and why he's dis- distancing himself from Bam almost preemptively because it's sort of like a, uh, you know, like worst case scenario. He's like, all right, things go off like this. Like I can't, I can't have emotions being the thing that, that kills me or the thing that gets me, keeps me too tied to him to make, you know, the right call. Yeah, for sure. I just hope Rack gives him a little bit more sauce because <laughs> he's like eating alone again, doing this again, blah, blah, blah. And I love how when Kuhn always strays away, Rack is just like right up his butt. <laughs> it's funny. Anyway, um, moving on. So our second talking point today is about uh, Ha Jin Sung and the fact that he does not know um, Hoken, right? As a Slayer, he goes, Hoken, well, I've never heard of a Slayer nominate, a nominee by that name. But if it's about a guy related to the Hell Train, it's bad news bears, right? So what do we think about this, right? He doesn't trust Bam uh, to be able to take this guy alone. He doesn't trust any of the squad to be able to do this. Um, but he himself is a bit restricted. He's not allowed on the train. He, ch- he can't just go mollywop this guy. He's waited out. We're not ready for any of this. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm wondering what thoughts you guys have with this, right? If if this is someone, you know, that, you know, even Hajin Sung is, is wary of, is Hajin Sung afraid of his potential? Is he afraid of his power once he becomes, combi- well, later on, um, you know, combined? Mm-hmm. Uh, what is the deal with this? Why is he so hesitant with uh, with Bam? But I also think it's interesting how, you know, given the whole Kuhn elaborate plan scheme thing where they yeet him out of the, they eat themselves out of the ship and then they send him off and all that kind of stuff, um, that he chooses not to go back after them. Mm-hmm. So, like, it's like this weird thing where I feel... Uh, 
there's this weird rule with Jin Sung where it's like every time that Bam is like, no, dad, like, I'm going to do this. And he's like, no, son, you really shouldn't. And then Bam's like, but I'm going to. And he finally does. He's like, eh, he's probably got it. You know what I mean? Like, he has, he has this mm-hmm. thing. So I'm curious to know what we think about Jin Sung's relation to the, or Hoken, you know, like, whether it's him or someone else and um, why he was so adamant about, you know, Bam not going to confront him. So, yeah. I, so I think that, I think that Hoken you know, as he is, as he is now, and, and as he is when we meet him, and when we learn about him, um, effectively is, I don't know, it, it's tough to say, because, so, obviously, Jin Sung doesn't know this guy by that name, but I think he knows of, you know, like, the story, right, or he knows of, like, the guy, the, the Fug Slayer nominee that was sealed onto the Hell Train. Um, I don't know if it's just a timetable thing of, like, by the time Jin Sung was involved with, or high enough up in Fug, um, Hokin was like not even, you know, he was he was already sealed and had been sealed for so long that like name like, you know, there's just all he knew, all he knows is of the story of the Slayer nominee that is sealed on the Hell Train and maybe just has never heard of him that name pronounced. Um or if it's sort of like a deflection thing of like the more I tell them, the more like indirect seeds I'm giving them to sort of put this puzzle together and when they do, they might not like the answer they get. So like this is, you know, I'm just going to have to play dumb and be like, I don't know who you're talking about. I do know of, like, this crazy strong nigga on the train, but, like, I don't know about all that, ho- like, you know, who Hokin is or whatever. Um, I don't know, because, yeah, Jin Sung definitely does have this weird, like, tough love, like, you know, uh, mentor from afar type, uh, you know, vibe or figure, rather, where it's, like, he kind of is obviously, you know, he's not afraid to, like, give it to Bam or whoever straight, tell it like it is, um, but he's not very, he doesn't, and I don't know if part of it, to be honest, is more like, because he, he makes a mention of it in these chapters where he's like, I could go after them probably easily, but like, I don't want to have to deal with all like the repercussions of what that would mean for someone like me going after them or, you know, g- going after the hell train. So I don't know if part of a lot of it is just like, is that is like, he's kind of stirring a lot of, you know, bigger pots just by in going in pursuit. So he's like, you know what, I'm just going to sort of let these, you know, weeds untangle themselves or if again, if it's part of like this this master plan of his to like sort of keep an eye on everything, but like from afar, again in the the essence of like tough love, where it's like yeah, he could like roll up to the hell train with Bam, right, and be like, all right, who are we ice in here, and just like that be done. But it's like I, I almost kind of weirdly think that like it's a way of like testing Bam, right? Because you know he's like if Jin Sung real if Jin Sung a really believed that like there was a hundred, like there was no chance that they were going to win this fight. Like, I think he would have stopped them. I don't actually think he would have let them go if like he couldn't, you know, if, if like he was like, oh shit, they're like, they're a hundred percent. They meet this dude. Cause from all intents and purposes, he doesn't even really know the, he just knows the stories. He just knows that like, if this guy's as strong as the stories I've heard, you guys like don't stand a chance. But in a way though, I kind of feel like it's like this, again, this tough mentor love thing where it's like, if I, tell Bam that, and he goes in, like, I need to test this kid's resolve. He's going to be up against a lot of threats that he's, you know, quote-unquote, may not be ready for when he meets them, but, like, they're not going to wait for him. You know what I mean? So it's like, is it a, is it a thing of, like, you know, he's he, he needs to he needs to see, like, if Bam can put, you know, his eggs in, in his basket when the time counts. Yeah, I'm, I'm wondering, actually, now that I'm rereading this on, on panel here, if Hajin Sung actually doesn't know anything about a Slayer nominee on the train in general, and if he is referring to the the guy related to the Hell Train as the guy, the conductor of the Hell Train, who we meet oh, later the on, um, the ranker uh, who works for Karaka, oh, being that they so have not even... you know kind of a thing. I could be wrong there, okay. but I mean, I'm wondering if he's like Slayer, like what Slayer? I just know that you don't want to run into that guy who they've now run into, who seems to be even more powerful yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, no, than at least sense, the separation like, separated. Uh, yeah. Uh, Hoken. I do think it's like he, because you know we didn't really get to see a lot of like I, we saw a little bit of like Bam and and Hoken go back and forth and and like sort of really gauge where their power levels are at. Sure, but I do think Bam can like hold his own or, or you know or at least against the split version. Yeah, you know or I mean? or, yeah. or hold like his footing against Hoken now. I think like what Jin Sung's fear is is somebody like uh, Pito who it's like, dude, like you meet like trust like this guy, literally like you can't like. 
this dude can freeze niggas in midair. Like, <laughs> you can't. This isn't somebody that you yeah, can fuck yeah. with at all. So I, I that actually, as you say that, that makes more sense where it's like, I don't know about all this Hokin Slayer nominee stuff, but there is a nigga on the Hell Train who there's stories about, and yeah. you do not want to meet mm-hmm. him. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah, what do you think, Ed? So I, I don't know. I, I guess I vary with my thoughts. I actually don't think that's the case. I, I guess my thoughts on it is Hokin probably was a Slayer nominee at some time. Mm-hmm. And if that was the case, he went under a different name. Something happened 600 years ago on the cell, on on that train, on the hell train, and then from there he's broken off. But in his mind, he probably or I feel like he just changed his name and now is like a self proclaimed a, a self pro self proclaimed Slayer nominee, although he really isn't one. So he's kind of living his life for the last 600 years, saying that he is the nominee when he really isn't. And now is under a new name, which is why it would make sense that Jin Sung wouldn't recognize him by name. Um, but either way, what what's curious to me is that obviously Fug knows about Hoquin's existence, or at least, if not by name, that there was a long time ago a Slayer nominee on this train, and that's what led up to this future game, where it was almost curated by the upper levels of Fugs who are split right now between having Bam being their nominee and Hoquin being their nominee. And now they're really pitting them against each other. And I feel like Jinsung, at the level that he's at with Fug, he I feel like he is in on the loop of Hoquin's existence and is playing it kind of stupid or maybe not know him by that name, but also knows what Fug is thinking in terms of who do we want to pick to be the real nominee? So he doesn't want Bam to go on to said train because he probably know has a little bit of info on Hoquin and is like, he is going to win no matter what until you really are able to facilitate your power and move stronger. However, Bam is so steadfast in his thoughts that it's at the point where Jin Sung can't step outside of the realms in terms of stopping Bam if Bam's not willing to do it by his own volition because upper level of the fog, they want Bam to meet Hoquin to have this fight. So if he steps in, he is quite literally stepping on Fug's toes because he is directly stopping their plan of attack by forcing Bam not to go on the train. However, if Bam isn't willing to make that decision to, oh, hey, I need to lay low, you know, because right then and there, that's Bam's decision. That's not with Jinsung. Like, Fug wouldn't know that Jinsung's stepping in, but if he physically makes a move and, like, physically holds Bam back, which is why he's not supposed to be in that area, he can't use any power that would give away his position. So right now he hasn't done that. And he said if he goes to stop Bam, then the administrator would know that his presence is there, and Fug would then know that Jin Sung is there, and he's kind of meddling in their in their shit. So that's where I see it in my eyes that he knows what's going on because he's a part of Fug. He knows that the upper level of Fug want um, Ho Quinn to meet with Bam to have this game, but Jin Sung quite literally when he that's why he meets Bam initially. He wants to see if he's ready to do it because or ready to see Ho Quinn because that is what Fug wants, and he's like Bam's not ready like. I need to kind of convince him to lay low, at least try to, like, figure out his own power before he takes that next step because right now he's going to get iced and lose. And since his ties with Bam are the way they are, he doesn't want that to happen. So he's kind of just cucked in the matter of, like, he can't do anything. So now he's forced to kind of sit and watch it play out and really just hope for the best for for Bam. But that's really my thoughts on it. Um, Yeah, I don't really know about Pedro yet, but I'm sure he's going to play into it later on. Sure. Well, I think it's it's interesting that, again, because – Fug is so large, like Jin Sung and Bam and their, you know, uh, reason, like their uh, their knowledge of Fug, mm-hmm. like is completely separate from like Pedro the Ranker and like Karaka's whole crew that want Karaka to be uh, the, the nominee versus uh, Ho Queen and all the people who support. Like there is there is essentially three different parties of. I mean, I'm sure there's more actually, but just in what we're talking about here of Fug, so I think like the people that Jin Sung associates in Fug are probably not the same people that like are that support Karaka being the Slayer nominee. And they're not the same people that support mm-hmm. uh, Ho Quinn being the Slayer nominee. So I think it, I don't know if it's like so much about Fug wanting to choose like the one right Slayer nominee because they already are so divided in like, you know, what they believe, who they believe the Slayer nominee should be that like, again, when later when they get on the train, like the ranker, who voices that he's a supporter of Karaka being a Slayer nominee, mm-hmm. this is just a game for him, right? Because Ho Quinn has this story and this myth and this legend behind him, but he even says, he's like, oh, well, I don't know. This is the other Slayer nominee, and he's got the whole Thorn thing. Like, you know what? Fuck it. Let's see which one of you... Like, I think it's like, it's not so much about, like, Fug collectively trying to pick or trying to isolate who is, like, the one true nominee. It's about, like, 
it, it's about the fact that fuck is already so divided to begin with that this operation is sort of like already clipped at the at the knees, you know, and that's what's causing all this conflict. Yeah, I think it's a bit of both, personally. I, I don't know because I can't I can't help but think that even Jin Sung said that there were elders in Fug that knew about Karaka and they weren't squashing it because they knew that this kid was a prodigy more or less and 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 I feel like Fug is so corrupted to the fact that it doesn't matter what means they're almost like divided but almost united in a in one singular co- uh, cause and it doesn't matter what we have to do to get there as long as we reach this destination and I feel like Fug is so messed up to the point where it's like we don't we don't care. Who, we don't care who is who or what is what as long as we get there. And if somebody's saying, and someone like Karaka, who is showing that he is smart, and he's saying that he you know, has potential to find someone who can be the next god in their eyes, that they're like, screw it. We can, we can literally have two people hash it out, and then we'll just, we'll just pick the winner from there and use them. Like, I feel like it's more of a benefit for Fug in this setting, um, the way it is rolling out, almost being split and divided, because they're like almost... Um, they're grooming two different nominees side by side, but it's like in this weird convoluted mess that in their eyes, they only see it's a benefit because at the end of the day, whoever's the last man standing is the one that they're going to take. You know, if they want to bam to begin with, Hey, this guy might be stronger. Screw it. Let's throw him in the mix. You know, we'll have him fight. Karak is on his own crap. Like I, and that's the thing, like they are divided, but I feel like they still, they are still willing to work together, even though, if they don't see eye to eye just to get to their um, destination. Because mm. I just think Fug is, just so, or Fug is so messed up that they don't really care. Like, they don't care about the average individual. But it's interesting as we see it, like, flesh out as we go down the road. But Yeah, Fug is fugly. Know. All right, moving on. So this is kind of a dual one right here. So we have, uh, we well, first we're going to talk about the... Uh, about uh, Sachi, the faker, mm-hmm. and also we're going to talk about uh, Rowan. Uh, Rowan as well, which are all kind of mushed together in this flashback um, from Boro and Squad uh, before everything totally went to crap, <laughs> um, and our initial impressions on them. So not taking too long, because this will encompass one point between the two of them, um, but I know that Sachi has been someone has who has been long-awaited. Uh, Sachi, the faker, he is in the top three, of the D uh, class regulars, yep. which is definitely a big deal. Um, it seems that he's like kind of a good guy right now, uh, for what we could tell, at least for the moment. So like, that's good. Um, but he definitely has striking resemblances to Ryun as well in terms of like his, uh, like the you know like his hair and the eyes and just like the the physicalities of it. So like we were like, oh, is this like a cousin? But it could be totally unrelated. So I'm curious if there is any relation or it's just, okay, they look alike. <laughs> like that's it. Um, but I don't know. I don't have too many thoughts on this guy right now. It's just that I'm, you know, I'm curious to know why, you know, like where he's been um, and what he's going to do now. But it seems like he's trying to get Daniel back to sanity um, in some way, shape, or form. So I don't know if we have any thoughts on him and if you have any thoughts on um, on uh, Rowan, whose name keeps on evading me. I apologize. Um, as well, feel free to shoot your thoughts on either of them. But um, Yeah, I think I like them, I mean, because the more we learn about uh, sort of Boro and company's, you know, past and, and, and what circumstances got them to where they are today, um, you know, a, a, I guess the more obvious thing is it sort of lightens you up to these characters and, and lets you see a little bit more about, like, what motivates them and why they care about what they care about. Um, but what I liked about meeting these characters and specifically in the context of finding out how they played into the, you know, the big event or whatever you want to call it, the circumstance, uh, Rion's death... Um, it was, it's interesting to see that it's like not as black and white, I guess, as like you would have, or, or at least as I would have uh, assumed it was, um, where, you know, clearly Hoquin is, was, you know, he's up to his games and scheming and shit and was just like, just started fucking with these people from the gate, uh, basically in, in, in his pursuit of power and, and, and consuming souls and all that nonsense, um, basically pitted these people against each other. And so I'm, I'm you know, we're still unclear as to, like, A, like, how specifically she died. Like, you know, from what we read, we know that she killed, uh, you know, one of the other people that was on the train. Uh, long story short, basically, because she, you know, because those people were being sort of consumed by, you know, the ideas and the philosophies of Hoquin, um, and that they were going to rat her and her team out for not being or, or, or thinking that way. 
So in self-defense, basically, or, to, or in self-preservation, she killed them. Um, but, like, you know, there's still some unclear holes, right, in this story from the moment Rowan did that to where we're at now, right? You know, we have some shit that happened, Rowan's death, and then X amount of things after. Um, it, it's interesting, and they, they get into a little bit later, like, what what this character meant for the team and not specifically just Daniel. Cause we know obviously Daniel is a little bit, you know, more attached to Rowan than, you know, than the rest of the team. But I would argue that like that attachment, even what the rest of the team has is still pretty significant considering the fact that in a way they, neither one of them have like really actually been able to move on from this, this event, from this moment, this thing has quite literally crippled all of them and put them in this stage of like, you know, riding the hell train for eternity, you know? And, and I think that like for Rowan, for the, for this character to have spawned that and then subsequently for Sachi to have sort of, I guess, gained the reputation that he did. Um, I don't know. I'm curious to see, I'm curious to, to like learn more about Rowan. Like I want to know what, I, I want to know what, I mean, like, I don't know. We get like a little bit when, when they're, when they first meet uh Hoquin on the train and like, you know, they come in and Hoquin starts barking orders and stuff. And, and, you know, Rowan's like, whoa, 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 you're not going to get by with like all that, you know, high and mighty stuff. Like you, you got here, like humbleness is the way to play the game. Um, but like, you know, that's a small snip. I'm curious to learn more about like how much this girl meant, I guess, to them. Like, I, you know, maybe like where they all met or like what, because, you know, it's one thing to like, you know, this is the tower, right? Where like, again, death is like, you know, happens as often as it rains. Right. You know, and, but so I, I wouldn't bat an eye if, like, somebody lost their teammate in this world and Tower of God, but for them to lose this teammate and for it to have effectively just sort of, like, backtracked and, and, and just halted the, all of the, the members of said team um, to not even being able to, like, leave the existence of the Hell Train, like, there has to be, you know, there has to be more, right? There has to be something, like, you know, something big there, I guess, it, again, whether it's st- what she meant to the individual members, maybe what they meant as a team, like, maybe it was a thing of, like, each of them was sort of, you know, a good for nothing, whatever, like, down on their luck kind of people, and then, like, she was sort of, like, the unifying force, right, that brought them all together and, and made them work as a team. Um, I don't know. I find it interesting, though, with her, um, because I believe there is a flashback uh, where Daniel is referring to her, as he does many times throughout these chapters, and paraphrasing here, but he says something along the lines of um, that she was jealous of um, Hoken and that it was that she was envious, jealous that he had basically usurped the power of the train and kind of made everyone subjugated to him. Um, and he was and they refer to it as their train before it had happened. Yeah. So I found that interesting. And I'm curious to get to know more of her and if it's like, okay, this was like this big self-sacrificing thing. She was incredibly humble, whatever. Or if like Daniel is kind of, and even in that moment he doesn't, but beforehand is kind of putting her up on more of a pedestal than she deserves. And then, you know, I find, again, I find it interesting that he had referenced that because it's like, okay, is this about you trying to, you know, topple whatever this new power is because you're jealous that it stole what was you deemed to be yours and entitled to be yours? Or is it genuinely like for the sake of everyone on this train? Um, So that's a question that I have no clue where to even start in terms of an answer for it because I don't think we've been given enough information, but it is one that I'm curious about. And I guess I'm curious a little more about this character, Rowan. I mean, how could I not be for the reasons Isaiah had laid out? She's a central part of this group now, even in death. Um you know, the, out of out of the two. But I'm definitely curious in general, mm-hmm. you know, so. Yeah. I guess I'd have to say that I'm curious how, I, I'm more curious on the aftermath. And I, tend, I feel like this is like a trend for me is I always like, I don't know, for me, I feel like the existence of this team has not purely been, but their significance in this story has been to almost hype up Hoquin in a way and really show how much of a, evil pos that he, that he is mm-hmm. and there's no better way to do it than to introduce characters who have been directly affected by him and show this the horrible stuff that has happened that has traumatized these characters to put him up on the pedestal like this is an antagonist you know so my thoughts are is as characters now are they going to be able to tread water in terms of in terms of like are they going to be essential to this story and are they going to be integrated in this story because right now i feel like there's almost no real connection with like team sweet and sour and coon's team so coming out of this are they kind of going to just 
go off on their own demise? Are they all going to die? Or are they going to actually, like, almost assimilate into, like, the teams that we have now and build it up more? Or are these characters' presence in this story at this point really just to support an antagonist that SIU is trying to bump up to the next level? So that's really what I'm curious on. So that's a good question, and that's probably going to come up later on one of the the last points that we do have. So Mm -hmm. hold that thought. Um, We'll move on for now, though. Um, and one of the questions posed was what our thoughts are, <laughs> I mean, on Rachel's mindset here, uh, which was very telling, especially when, you know, she's talking to how Rian and Rian's like, why are you letting me, you know, walk around freely? Rachel's like, because honestly, you're not much of a threat anyway, since we have Emily, like we kind of found your kryptonite. So it's really no big deal. Mm-hmm. And then, you know, oh, you know, she asks her more questions. And then essentially we get to this line, which is very important, says, I don't care how I do it. And I don't care if it's not true friendship as long as I can gather people who I can rely on. Essentially referring to Bam, who has garnered real friendship throughout the tower. And, you know, Rachel coming to, not to grips, because she's already come to those grips and accepted them, unfortunately. But as to why she's making the decisions she is and being a little carefree about it. Um, So, I mean... There's really not going to be much in terms of like a discussion here besides screw that chick. <laughs> um, Cause I, you know, uh, we're all in agreement here <laughs> that she's trash. Um, and this would definitely, this would definitely signify it. So, um, but I don't know if anyone has anything thought wise beyond the she's trash, um, you know, that is so easily spewed forth. <laughs> um, well, first off, she is trash. That just has to be said <laughs> okay. no matter what I have to say. Yes. But um, I do think. What is what I don't get about people who, you know, have used like the line or phrase like Rachel's character is interesting to me is the more I learn about Rachel and the more insight we get into her, the less sense this character makes to me, right? Because she says these things, but then like, you know, if you if you're to think of the phrase like actions speak louder than words, everything that Rachel has done directly contradicts the things she says she wants, right? If she wants, like, you know, the, to see the stars, whatever the fuck that means, if she wants, you know, uh, allies that she can actually rely on and, like, friends with, like, real meaningful connections, not a single thing that she's done would tell you that that is what she wants. So when I read something like this, to me, the only thing that comes off is, like, okay, well, you're just lying to yourself, right? Because if you if you say you want... A, but you go over into B's camp and start hanging out with them and doing everything they do and lying and cheating and stealing and whatever the fuck, then you either don't understand what you're talking about, which I don't think is true. I, I, I think whether she knows, like, whether she's willing to admit what she wants, she doesn't know what she wants. She just doesn't want to say it. Like, she can't admit that to herself. Or you're lying, right? That's the old, like, in my mind, that's the, because you don't, it, there's no lo- there's no logical thing in my mind that tells me that somebody in Rachel's position that wanted what she says she wants would be doing what she's doing if she wants what she says she wants, but she wants it for herself, right? She, she wants to do it on her own. She wants to prove, once again, that she is the heroine of the story. She wants to be the special one. She wants to be the one that stands out. And that's fine because that still tracks with the message here, you know, of being in Camp B, of like lying and cheating and stealing and, and, and fucking people over. But, like, every time we get a moment like this that's insight into Rachel's mind and she's explaining herself, the things don't line up to me. They don't add up. Nothing here adds up or makes any sense because everything she says is stuff like, well, I was just jealous of Bam. I just wanted some friends. I just wanted people I could trust and rely on because you have she has none of that in her position. But she chose this. You know, it, again, it would be one thing if it was like, Man, she was like, you know, she had no choice, man. Like she was forced, she, but she wasn't. She was not forced into this position whatsoever. She actually had numerous opportunities to not be in this position and chose to be in here in spite of that. So again, that tells me that this isn't some chick who's down on her luck, who's trying to be the heroine of a story that was taken from her. She's trying to make this story that's not all about her, about her. And that screams from somebody who does know exactly what they're doing, knows exactly what they want, but just can't say it because it doesn't sound like something a heroine would say. Really? I, I think that, um, obviously, uh, Rachel's trash. Well, we have to start that, by the way, <laughs> by every time. But um, I don't know. I feel like these panels in particular are ones, to me, where um, 
she is like fully cognizant of the shitty things that she's doing and admits them anyway and says, I don't care. Like, I don't, I don't necessarily get the vibe that she's trying to play victim, to be honest, at this point. I think like, especially with this panel in particular, um, she's like, yeah, no, like, I don't really give a damn about the whole friendship thing. If it's true, um, I'm just trying to gather people that I can rely on in terms of like, who's going to catapult me to the next level in this tower? Who am I going to yeah, yeah, crush? That's what you know, I was in saying, my head. But I'm yeah. saying that, that I, what that sentence and that statement directly contradicts with her being jealous of what Bam has or her wanting the recognition that Bam has, because that recognition is founded on something completely different than what Rachel does want or is well, I think do. her thing is she just wants recognition in general, right? Like she wants that notoriety, and whether it is whether it is spun in a positive or negative light, I think is less critical or important to her as much as what's more important is that she has notoriety in some way, shape, or form. So, like, I think Rachel is. I don't know if Rachel. I don't think Rachel's jealous of the fact that Bam can acquire friends through a respectable means. I think she's more jealous that Bam can, in general, get people to come together, right? Which I think, in this panel, she says, I can gather people who can, I can rely on, right? So, like, Bam is going through that, um, you know, the correct way. Um, and, you know, Rachel's like, I don't really care if I have to do this the inverse way. I just want to be able to do it. I have a resentment for, like, the ability that Bam has or whatever, and I do not. So I'm going to find my own sick, twisted, and demented way of doing it. Yeah, that's what I, yeah, again, when I was saying that, like, that's what she wants. She wants to be the special and the important one. Yeah, notoriety mm -hmm. is what Rachel wants. But my point, I guess, what I'm making here is it's weird that she still frames this as, like, her trying to claim the role of a, being a heroine in this story, right? That, that, the f that, Somebody who was like, yeah, I'll do, I don't care. Like, I'll do whatever it takes, shitty or not shit. Like, I don't care. I'm, I don't care about friendship. Yeah. Is still, un, is still, you know, spewing these lines of like, this is all in an effort to be the heroine of my story. Right. Because that doesn't, that doesn't. So, line up so my guess is that to her, and she's fully aware of this, when she says the word heroine, it's not in the term that we would say it, right? Where it's like heroine as in, I'm going to, through the most righteous means necessary, achieve said goal. I think to her, heroin is more of like the title given to the person who emerges on top, right? So like if you take a certain scenario where they're, you know, they, they have the quote, like history's written by its winners type thing, right? Where it's like, so long as I get to that point, it like to the ascend to the top, it kind of doesn't matter to her, at least what I'm pulling from this. She's like, I don't really give a crap about like all the messed up things I had to do. I am the heroine because I said I am right. And like, I, you know, I did this on my own means, even though it was jacked up and wrong. And like, I, I even like in these panels, I, I don't think that Rachel refers to herself as a heroine being like, I did all of these good things. I think that she's like, I, forged my own path, you know, in getting to that point and ascending to the top. And now like people, you know, that's what, that's what history sees me as now is the heroine of the story. I am the protagonist, but like, yeah. I don't give a crap that I'm doing. I get, it. Yeah. I, I get that. It's like, she's not saying she's a heroine because she's good. Right. Mm -hmm. She's saying she's a heroine because she's the star of the story. She's the important one. Um, it's just, it's just interesting to me that like, we all here colloquially, like even in the story, understand like the term heroine being used as like the main protagonist sure, of the story, sure, yeah. and so it's a weird, it's it's just weird, like to for her to use that comparison, I mm -hmm. guess, because it's mm -hmm. like, well, you fundamentally know that you're already mm -hmm. fucking up the definition of that free of that statement, like because you know, but whatever. yeah, yeah, I don't know, Gavin, what thoughts do you have? So I I kind of have a couple things going around. I mean, even though I don't think Rachel really deserves the time of day in terms of breath, um, <laughs> I feel like one of the things I am starting to notice from people that we've talked to, for instance, like Dr. Bonehead, who was like, he finds Rachel to be a very human character and stuff sure. like, and just other things that people say, which isn't a benefit to her by any means, but it's almost uh, trying to figure out why SIU is, you know, writing and developing this character in the way that he is. And in my eyes, I'm actually starting... I, and I'm not in, a, not in any way to in her defense at all, but I can see how people might get thoughts of her, how human, how there are human elements to her. Because sure. in my mom, in my eyes, what I see now when I look at Rachel is just self delusion in the fact that she has messed up in the past and can't come to gripes with you know her thoughts, her jealousy, and everything else. And instead of taking the next step forward to overcome those things and become a better person. She's really doubling down on the opposite and just doing whatever she needs to do to get her own self-satisfaction there and is willing to go to such extents to where even if it literally contradicts everything that she wants, 
she is so delusional in the fact that it doesn't even matter. It's just she's going down this route of no return. And in, in that delusion, it's almost like what makes her human, in a sense, with people who take a wrong path in life. And instead of coming to that realization where it's like, I had everything that I say that I wanted. However, right now in this moment, I'm so messed up in the head that I literally don't care. I am just fulfilling whatever greets my satisfaction or my whatever I it satisfies me at this moment. And right now it's whatever her dreams are that she wants to achieve. And it's like, for me, I'm starting to see how SIU is creating this character in that light and how that could be relatable into a human sense or like in a day-to-day person sense, because you see it all the time with people who, you know, say like, Oh, I I'm like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that or whatever. Like, I'm not going to go down this road. I'm going to go down this road or, you know, try to pump themselves up or do these things, but they take such a backwards Avenue to it and they get sucked down a wrong path and don't like, you just can't, they don't step back and like really reflect on themselves and be like, Hey, is what I'm doing right to the goal that I want to achieve? And it's like you just get lost. You get like tunnel vision where you're just trying to do what you want to do and you don't care who you're stepping on. And it's like that just innate flaw in a human is what SIU is trying to drive home with people where it's like if you're not able to sit back and reflect on yourself and your actions, this is what's going to happen to you. And this person that I'm vicariously showing you, you're like, like the, or, oh wow, I lost my train of thought on that. But like the person that I'm showing you that this, like, that the bad things are going to happen to you as a person is through Rachel, if that makes sense. Like he's trying to relate it almost to real life that it's like, if you're a bad person and you do bad things, you're going to go down this route like Rachel and people are able to do this in real life. And people do do this to themselves in real life, i.e. like kind of trying to give a realistic view on people who are deluded in the head and can't self-reflect on themselves. So that's, Yeah. And it even, it even (laughs) exceeds that, but just with any decision, you know, it's like, I want to be a pro athlete. What am I going to do? You know? And it's, it can even go back from taking steroids or not. It could be just as much as hurting other players, you know, doing dirty tricks, doing this and that. And like, not just being a horrible person or, you know, other, like there's so many things that people do that can negatively impact others. It doesn't even have to include drugs. It could be Mm -hmm. any Avenue that you take. And this is SIU being like, all right, everybody who is sitting here right now, reading this step back, reflect on yourself, and really think, oh, how do you impact the people around you? Is it positive, negative? What are your goals? What do you want to achieve? And how is it going to affect the people around you? And if you don't, you could end up like Rachel. And sure. I feel like that's just that human element that people are talking yeah, about yeah, that I'm starting to see to more. Nobody wants to be a Rachel. And he's really driving it home by making it such a hateable person. Sure, sure. So, yeah. So, basically, Gavin's the head of the RDF now. All right, moving on. <laughs> no, I hate her. I literally hate her. I just, I can see... Oh, I man. can see why I knew that was coming. <laughs> no, 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 no. Just play it. Yeah, no. I hate her with the passion, and that's good because SIU wants you to hate her. So yeah. that means like now I don't want to be Rachel. Sure, Please don't make you know. Yeah, and no, I feel like no. that's the point that he's going. for. No, that's why. Yeah, it's it's definitely uh it's it's a character man because every time like whether you hate her or you or you're defending her, whatever. No. Like the fact is that every time this chick is on panel, it it produces such a visceral. And extreme reaction. Yeah. You know what I mean? From one side or the other. And let's be honest, usually speaking, every time that she's in the story, yeah. we're devoting a panel to having conversation yeah. about it. So and, like and she's at the point of no it's return. Pretty crazy. Like if she was to self reflect yeah. now she's and do it, like you're not getting any sympathy from yeah, me. I'm literally saying like, jump off a bridge. Yeah. <laughs> the reverse <laughs> end of a mirror where yeah. it's yeah, like yeah. You know, you're supposed to look at her and be like, Oh, that's fucked up. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm, yeah. You know, am I good? Am I <laughs> it's crazy, right? Yeah, for sure. Um, so anyway, moving on, uh, we have Hoken and Bam's first meeting, which was a meeting of fists, um, moreover than words, or, or really just Hoken trying to brag, but then Bam not listening to him at all, <laughs> which I thought was kind of hysterical. That he's just like, all right, if I figure out this thing, meanwhile, Hoken's like, you must be so terrified. You know what I mean? <laughs> Bam's like, I'm not. I literally white noise, dude. Like, I don't even hear you at all. Um, so that I thought that was interesting. Uh, did we have any thoughts on their first encounter? I mean, I know we briefly were going over like how we think Bam can hold his own, at least with the split version of Hoken um, and all that kind of stuff, but... And, you know, Bam's Thorn ability or, like, his Ultra Instinct mode, as it were, has really been kicking in. Uh, and thank God it did, especially for this fight uh, coming up as well because of Hogan's ability to basically, which I still don't fully understand, um, but to kind of, like, meld the, the... The sword is really just for show type thing. You know what I mean? He's able to, like, slice and dice the Shinsu from ever, whenever, however he wants. And uh, Bam, thank goodness, is able to 
almost predict those moves and not even quite, right? And if he wasn't even at that level, it, this fight would have been over in five seconds flat. So, um, yeah. Does anybody have any thoughts on, on this, uh, this encounter in general or how we think this is, uh, you know, this reflected in terms of the scene going on? Um, so I, first of all, um, I, like, don't really know how I feel about Hoquin um, after, like, what, you know, chapters that we've read. Because um, I think he's a cool antagonist to have, like, in this story. Sure. Um, but, like, I just I don't know how to feel about him. I don't know, like, you know, because right now, he you know, he's been touted up as, like, oh, this is, like, Hell Train is a thing, and he's like the king of hell. Like sure, he is, sure. you know, he's the face of the Hell Train or whatever. Um, but a, I would argue that that Ranker nigga sitting in a chair with literal beat red eyes is probably <laughs> the actual king of hell. Like yeah. that's that's the dude who like runs who should be posted on on the Hell Train. Um, I feel like Hoquin is a lot more in the camp of like I'm gonna talk myself up to be the shit, but it's really because I'm like third seat. You know what yeah, I mean? Yeah. Um, and you know that's not to denote his power or anything. Again, like you know of what we're talking about now in the story, at least in terms of power scaling, Bam is probably one of the toughest niggas that you can go up against. And the fact that Hoquin can, you know, can put fists up against him and put Bam, you know, sort of keep Bam at a distance, um, you know, Thorn or, or, or whatever, or no Thorn, like, that's something. And, and, and just from the way we see him fight and the way that we see him interact with people, um, clearly, you know, he has strength. He's got a reason to sort of, like, hold his chin up high. Um, but I, I guess I feel like it's a little, he holds it up a little too high than, like, he, sh- like, then he, could you know or like then then he's supposed to um especially one being that like he's sort of you know if we're talking about like dragon ball free he's like in free he's in his first form right now he's not even in you know uh his final form but again if you know even using that metaphor like that was Frieza's whole shtick, right? Is that like I'm the most powerful being, and it's like you whoop his ass. And he's like, this is actually not even my weakest <laughs> form, yeah. you know. And then like you just keep going down that train. Um, so I wonder, I, I want to learn, I want to get more into Hoquin because my. my the other thing for me is, especially when we're talking about antagonist, is, like, a solid motivation for their actions. Sure. Um, like, Hoquin is, you know, he's big and bad, and he's doing all the shit, and he's fucking with people in the hell train and all the stuff. Um, but I don't, like, unless he's, like, a literal demon monster that just, like, eats souls, and, like, that's the reason he exists. Um, I do want more of, of like, this character. I want to know, like, why, how he got here. What, you know, what is... What is there something past like the literal, I guess, hunger for power that drives you know sure. his actions? Is there an end goal here that he wants? I mean, he says that he wants to be, uh, you know, that they uh, Daniel, I believe, uh, says, um, which by the way, terrible fucking deal that Daniel made with this man on on uh, all <laughs> yeah. fronts because right. he's literally like, all right, I'm gonna get you all the power that you need. I'm gonna turn you into the completed one, make you the Fug Slayer. Um, and then on my end, I just want you to bring Rowan back to life. And it's like, nigga, who's to say if this dude became the completed <laughs> one that he would do anything that you want? Like, literally. This is the shittiest deal ever. You know how many shit This is the worst deal done? in the history of trade deals. <laughs> okay. Not to mention, he literally says that Hoquin is the master manipulator in terms of turning people against <laughs> each other and not working. Like, what do you think dude, that even if he brings her back... What makes you think he is just going to let you live a normal life together? Like, he's literally just going to bring her back to manipulate you two again because yeah. he's so messed up. And he would want to see that because Daniel would be so messed up in the head yeah. if Rowan came back and now they're, he pit them against each other. Like, that is literally what Hoken thrives on. And Dan, re- like, recognizes that. He's like, he literally just likes to see people fight. And, like, the more messed up the fighting is, the better. It's like, at the, like come on. You're literally yeah. creating <laughs> your own scenario in the most, like, horrific way possible. And you just expect this guy who literally tortures people for fun to just get away with it like yeah I, the whole thing is that like rowan silly. rowan uh like that's how she died she died from manipulation <laughs> by hokin's like hand so it's like weird that he's like yeah whatever i'll i'll give up my my mortal life and and you know become a minion and it's like dude nigga what are you doing <laughs> this is just like some dumb dumb moves yeah yeah but regardless i think as far as hokin and I, as far as this all altercation um i do like a lot of the parallels that they draw here uh or that siu does between these two uh, as a matter of fact of like which one of that, like, you know, because, again, we, t- we touched on it earlier with the whole, like, you know, multi- multifaceted Fug and, like, several different Slayer nominees. But, like, Bam, I, I kind of, is, like, the Slayer nominee, right? Uh, I believe uh, the ranker brings sure. up a good point. He's like, oh, if you uh, don't consider yourself a nominee, then, like, go ahead and just melt yourself down. And we'll make a <laughs> weapon out of you, and then we'll move on with our lives. Yeah, oh, you yeah. don't want that? All right, then you're still a Slayer nominee. <laughs> so, like, Bam, you have Bam in his corner with Jin Sung and, and uh, you know, company. And then you have, like, Karaka with... 
a lot of other niggas apparently because <laughs> my god, after like every other fuck dude is like, "Yo, Karaka, what's up?" It's like. <laughs> Okay, cool. I don't really know what he's done to garner all this respect. Maybe he just scares them all. Um, and then you have Hoken, and I kind of actually feel like it, it. Like with Karaka, there's no contest. I definitely feel like of supporters and Fug, Karaka actually probably has the most. But I feel like Bam, little corner of Fug support and Hoken's are the same size. So I like this parallel between the two of like, all right, which one here? Like, what you know? Who again? Like, who is the the re- who can be the real uh, you know Slayer nominee? Yeah, they all getting played. What I'm saying, uh, moving on. So I liked this talking point. So kudos to the folks again in Discord who brought this one up. Um, it is where kind of talking about what you just did in a sense, and we've kind of already hit on some points within this, so we don't have to go too hard. But um, Daniel's accusation that the rest of his old squad is basically afraid to move forward. Um, and he says, you miss Rowan. And he's like, and that's why you roam around this train. Um, I found this to be pretty interesting as a talking point um, because the more I thought about it, the more I don't, I, I don't know. I'm torn. I don't know if this is actually, this could be a true statement, right? And it, which makes it very interesting that these characters in this old squad who are very powerful in the grand scheme of things, um, like, you know, at least where we are right now, have chosen this. And I wonder if Daniel's right in the sense that Boro and the like don't feel worthy to ascend without Rowan for the, you know, sacrifices that she made for the group, right? But are too, but are too fearful or are, you know, like they, they realize that they can't bring her back from death or if they were at least to try what that actually means and it's not worth it, but then, you know, kind of put themselves into their own sort of subjugation and exile after the fact. So I, f- I thought that was an interesting talking point and I was curious to know if you guys had any thoughts on that um, in general. Do you think Dan is right? Do you think he's wrong? He's overreacting? What do you think that the motivations of Boro, Akka, etc. are? Do you think they all fall under the same umbrella of it doesn't matter what we're doing. I could be a mob don or I could be a trainer for all the people going to hell. It doesn't matter. The point is is that we're all holding ourselves back from ascending up this tower because of the events that happened. I don't know. What are our thoughts on it? Uh, yeah, I definitely so this this moment and scene and stuff definitely hit me too because I do I do think he's right. Um, again, uh, I think they're all feeling the exact same feeling, but I think they all responded to it very differently. Um, and obviously, A, that's what broke up the team. Um, but we talked about this a little bit at the beginning where it's like, all right, what is, like, because realistically, if it wasn't that, like, why is everybody still here? Sure. Right? Boro and Akka and, and Sachi, I mean, like, you know, Sachi even doing all, doing his own thing wasn't really that hard to drag <laughs> this nigga down here. So, like, <laughs> it's like, if you are not all here, because your, you know, because your your heart, your your mind, your soul, whatever, isn't still basically trapped on that train and still reliving that day or that moment. What the actual fuck are you still doing here? Why are you even kind of caring or involved with any of this? So I do definitely think it is foolish of any of them. To, I mean, and you know, time and like you know can make people think crazy things, right? You you sort of say something to yourself enough and give yourself enough time, and you might even believe that it's the truth, even if it's a lie, um, which is what I think everybody here is doing um again just in very different ways i think boro and akka and sachi um and company in terms of not being able to because i think regardless who actually caused rowan to die the person that killed rowan or i'm sorry flip that like regardless who actually killed rowan the person who caused rowan to die is hoquin right hoquin is the one that like was pulling all these strings he's the one who was like "Uh, i don't like like you gotta go um who actually killed Rowan, we don't know, right? How she actually died, what everybody in this party, what role they had to play in that death, we don't know. But clearly, whether they were actively and directly involved in it or, you know, passive and didn't do anything to stop it or, or didn't want to or didn't think they could at the time um, is clearly, you know, weighing all of them down. And clearly, I think, makes them feel like if they leave this train behind, they are just leaving Rowan behind. Like, that sure. whole moment in that event in their lives because, you know, whether they all want to say it or not, I think that, like, again... Rowan being, you know, whether she was, like, the leader of the team in a sense or she sort of, like, was the, you know, the torchbearer to, to push the team forward, um, I think she was, like, a, a unifying agent for this team. Mm-hmm. And so, again, like, they didn't just lose Rowan. They lost, like, Boro's friendship with Daniel, Daniel's friendship with Art. Like, mm-hmm. that whole team, all of that fell apart because of this. And so I think more than anything, like, that's what they, they want to know, especially from that reason 
being taken so, you know, unjustly and unfairly as something as simple as like, oh, Hoken just uh, wanted to fuck with these people or Hoken saw these people trying to step up on his turf and was like, nope, not having none of that. You know what I mean? Like that's that's the reason that they lost all of their friends. That's the reason they lost their team and all their lives because Hoken's ego, you know? So it's, I think that they all are in a sense, um, you know, they are ghosts of this train now, essentially. They in, Until they can all come to terms with what happened um, and face it honestly, because I yeah. think even Daniel might seem like he's doing like the most about it um is actually again just an extreme case but on the other sure, side of the spectrum yes, yeah. um in that he you know again is failing to come to terms with like what this actually meant what role everyone had to play with it, it w- what role everyone had to play within it and like what that actually means to everybody in the team yeah and i think it's it is definitely an, a very cool scene yeah for sure do you have any thoughts gavin um, no, honestly, he pretty much nailed it all in the head. Yeah, I see yeah. her almost in terms of like the bam of this like friend group, you know, she's very mm-hmm. like humbling and in, in fat, like just the way she carries herself from the little that we've seen, it seemed like she's the type of person that puts others, you know, first in a sense and is very humbled in nature and probably all the, all of like Boro, um, Aka and Dan and such. They all gravitated toward her, and it was almost like when Bam died for the first time. You sure. know, Coon was like Rachel was a physical person who Coon knew if we put everybody, you know, kind of on the same team in terms of helping her up the tower, we're able to keep everybody glued together still. You know, yeah. however, if Rachel wasn't there, I feel like even Coon himself is right after Bam was gone. They all would have went their own ways, and probably some of them might have stopped going up the tower because they lost all reason to. You sure. know, because just Bam in that mindset was the reason why they were going up the tower. And I feel like she had a similar role in this friend group. And then once once that glue was gone, you know, they're just like, well, I don't know what to do. Like, uh, she, like her mindset was why we wanted to go up the tower. Now we're kind of just chilling because, you know, yeah. well, what do we do with our life? So, yeah, yeah it's interesting sure. stuff, though. All right, so moving on, we have um, who I think I'm deeming the actual devil um, <laughs> of the hell train. And uh, what was his name? Did they say his name? It was uh, Pedro, Pedro again, right? Yeah. Pedro. Um, and what his motivations are. We don't have to spend too much time due to the fact that we've kind of already gone over this Mm -hmm. in general. Um, And then also combining it with that, kind of like we just did with um, uh, Rion and um, and Sachi, um, the other half of Hoken as well. So if there's any thoughts or any more thoughts that wanted to be pervaded forward with Pedro or Hoken's other half. I feel like Hoken's other half is definitely more the talking point here in the sense that, you know, again, we've been highlighting it throughout the course of this discussion. Um, but this definitely came as a shock to me. I was like, what? You know what I mean? Like, what? what is going on? But then then when you think about it, it's like, well, why would it come as a shock, right? Because then it's, it's like kind of almost, it's already stated in a sense that it's like he scattered himself around the train. So really, the I don't really have too many thoughts on this, I'll be honest with you. I'm not going to just fill the, the void with, with dead words here. Mm-hmm. But I, I will say that I am very excited to see what, the actual potential of Hoken is being that he has not achieved that final form yet. Mm-hmm. And like the fact that these Ho- Hoken clones like are kind of in agreement that it's like, we need to find each other, but like, do they have their own, you know, mindset on certain things and frame of thought and all that kind of stuff. So I don't know if any of you guys had any thoughts on either Pedro or Hoken. If you did fire away. Um, well, so the only thing I really have about Pedro is I think, again, it's very interesting the more we move up this tower, um, seeing just how far, like, influence can really spread, right? This guy, you know, when we meet him, li- like, literally presses the pause button on everything that's going on and is like, all right, like, knock it off. We're playing my game now. Everybody get inside. Like, cut the shit. Um, and that we know this guy is a ranker, a high ranker. Um, what? And, and, so we know that he has that sort of influence and power. We know that he's a ranker and we know that he's a loyal supporter of Karaka. So then that to me begs the question of like, wow, this nigga Karaka bro really has like his fucking hand, like in the puppet of these works here where I feel like it, it's just crazy to me that like somebody of that level Karaka has under him. Right. And it's like, if that is somebody that is willing to side with or work with Karaka, like, who else? You know what I mean? Who else is in that party? And, and, and like, is he, is is Pedro a, a small fry in comparison to some of the other people? Like, I don't know. I just, that's crazy to me that, like, again, somebody of this magnitude would be like, oh, yeah, I, I'm a Karaka boy, fanboy, like, 100%. Sure. Um, and then with, with uh, the, sp- like, the different uh, Hoquins, it's interesting to me that, like you said before, that, like, while all these different Hoquins are split up and in and, and different sects of the train, that, like, maybe they don't all have, like, the same either the same agenda or the same outlook on said agenda that like 
Hoquin, you know, the one who we initially think is just like the, the real one or the original, uh, had, right? His, sor- his whole deal is like, I have to be the completed one. I have to be, you know, uh, the, the Slayer nominee. Like, I have to be the strongest person. I have to consume all these souls and, and, and all this stuff. Um, but I, I wonder, I, I, I don't know, something about, again, just a very small interaction we get with this other version or the other uh, copy of Hoquin makes me think that, like, again, even if they all th- are thinking about the same end goal, like, maybe they don't think about it the same way. Maybe they don't want it for the same reasons. Or I don't know. I don't know. I just It's got me curious, quite frankly. Yeah, for sure. Gavin, I hate to cut you off on this one, but I am going to give you the honors of talking about our last point here. And if anyone else does, you can as well. But it is uh, potential predictions for where the story is going and more specifically what the game is going to be that uh, um, Hoken and Bam are interlocked in to decide who is the worthy Slayer nominee. What do you got? So that's uh, the game is interesting because it's it's good timing. I like how, although it's a little annoying, I, it's interesting how they threw in that one-month timetable where it's like, we're going to meet back here in a month. Okay, so in my mind, right off the bat, I'm like, well, Hoquin and his other half are obviously going to come together. That's just how I see it in my mind, so he is going to be at full power. Now, with Bam, I feel like there's going to be within this one-month one span that he is going to have a better grasp on his situation in terms of, you know, the thorn and whatever other thing that's inside of him, whether they mesh, whether they blend, you know, what have it. I feel like Bam is going to have a better control over himself, and then Hoquin is also going to be at full power, and they're just going to hash it out and just go quite literally ham. So I I don't know. And I remember when I was talking about something earlier, I can't pick that train of thought back up. I actually completely forgot. But I, it's interesting because I feel like, Hoquin is a weird antagonist in the fact that he's almost too far gone in my eyes, where Bam is almost that type of person who, when you fight him, it's almost like through his prior thoughts and, you know, established mindset in the world and how it should run that he was almost able to convert people in a way. But I feel like he's almost lost that charm because of that, like, his, you know, tunnel vision for Rachel. So he's not really like, flaunting that anymore, you know? Like, really what... And I feel like Kuhn feels that as well because, you know, he's he's distancing himself from Bam quite literally because he almost... Like, Bam lost that flair. He's no longer that person who's like, we're all going to do this together. We're a team. We're a family. Bam is broken off as an independent person and almost kind of lost that old mindset of we're all in it together, you know, where there's, there's happiness in this world. He's almost in this dark place where it's only Rachel, and I feel like Kuhn lost that sense of Bam and is now worried. So now pairing up to fight against Hoquin, I wonder where their ideologies are going to clash in terms of is Bam quite literally just going to ice Hoquin and it's going to be a day? Or are, is there going to be something in that fight that changes Bam's mindset again and maybe turns it around the right way? Or I feel like there there's going to be some significance to this fight, or I feel like there has to be, that changes both of their character mindsets drastically in a way. And I could be wrong with this, but I feel like it's weird if they were just to kill off Hoquin and then move on their merry way. Like there has to be some sort of development afterwards. And that's what I can't really wrap my, wrap my head around is, is, is it going to be a mental thing? Is it going to be a physical thing? How is it going to affect the world? Like, I feel like they almost one can't die and the other one moves on. There has to be some weird like stipulation that happens, whether like Hoquin has to change a heart or comes to the realization that, Oh, you know, I'm meeting somebody now who has this much power, who, you know, could be a Slayer nominee and almost humbles Hoquin in that fact where he's like, wow, this kid's a lot stronger. And if not, is on par with me. Am I not as good as I thought? And then has that self-reflection and maybe like makes that change through the route that he's been taking for the last 600 years. Like that, that's the dynamic that I'm looking for in that fight and what happens coming out of it. And in terms of predictions, I don't know really what's going to make of it. I feel like Hoquin's going to be humbled, but I don't know if he's going to take it and run with it or quite literally it's going to lead to his death, almost like Refleho, you know, or Flex, where it was like he came to that realization and then was done. You know, there was no moving, like, forward with it. So I definitely am curious in terms of what they do with it, what happens, and to what power level are they at in one month when it goes down the road? Like, does Hoquin have his other half? And if not, does he – he's going to have to show up in this fight eventually. Is he going to come mid-fight and it's going to be, like, a holding of the hands, like, combination-type weird stuff like that? Or I feel like it's not the case. But also what happens with Wang Nam and Yeon? Because right now they're being chased by the other half or – 
he, they're guiding, quote-unquote, the other half of Hoquin, and what is going to lead to their existence, you know, because we know how crazy Hoquin is. Wang Nam and Neon are alone with that. So what intera- who are they going to meet along that route, and is it going to lead not to their demise, but their hardships in terms of a now one-month span that nobody's really going to be looking for them, as we know. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting, that's for sure. But Yeah, mm-hmm. for sure. Anyway, folks, those are our thoughts on Tower of God, the chapters that we went through. I hope you enjoyed our conversation today. If you did, make sure you guys are smashing like, that subscribe button, that notification bell, share with your friends, comment your thoughts down below. What did you think of our discussion? What did you think of these chapters? What do you think of Tower of God? We are very excited to get into our next read-through. That'll be Sunday at 11 a.m. Eastern Standard Time, live if you want to catch that. But until next time, we'll see you on the flip. Peace. Peace. Screaming out Bankai. We just some ghouls though. Who likes seeing parts fly?